Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. I'm Leah Barber, and today I'm talking with Roxy Lowe, bike designer for Ibis. We're going to see how she went from designing housewares at Pottery Barn to designing the Ibis Mojo, the Ripmo, and all the bikes in between. Word on the street, Oz, you are an industrial designer, right? Yes. Um, well, were you an industrial designer first or a mountain biker first? Industrial designer first. Oh, so give us a little bit of background into how you went from like industrial design into, well, you're the bike designer for Ibis. How the heck did that happen? So I believe that from your industrial design background, you tend to work on process and different products. And so I spent most of my, I guess, out of school instruction, self-instruction, learning about products and how to make them. And so first was kind of like tech stuff. So anything from computer, um, like those old CRT block monitors. <laughs> like that Apple computer that you had to pick up the yeah, whole thing. But unfortunately I didn't get I didn't get Apple. <laughs> I was I was in some other um other brands. But then I got into housewares and uh, at Pottery Barn and then I got into more consulting with different brands and like understanding actual big companies and going in and helping them like qualify new ideas. So like we would do user research and ask people questions about like their habits and using products. And so one of them, for example, was a company came to us and they had this cool glass they wanted to try on like a charcoal grill. And they're like, we want to incorporate glass onto this charcoal grill because it's like a really cool glass and it's really durable and we think it's going to be great. And okay, so we're like, well, we're going to hire some chefs across the country and across the world. So we found people in Italy, people in San Francisco, people in Boston, and we're like, cook for us on this prototype grill. And one part of the grill was like a grate, like a normal grate with um, gas. And the other side was this glass material. And people could almost stir fry on the glass because it was so hot. But if anyone used um, sugar, for example, it would actually pit the glass. And so we found that that was happening because a lot of people are used to, you know, slathering some kind of cool sauce on their meat or their vegetables. <laughs> and then, you know, they're trying to clean it. And what they end up doing is like chipping away at the glass when they're trying to pick up their food. So while it was a great idea, maybe it should have been steel. And so we, we were the bad, you know, the bad news bears and said, you know, this is not going to fly for you. So there are a lot of times when my job was just to help people say no and to understand that. So that was part of the process. And I guess my getting into bikes was not like a linear progression. It was just like, I just wanted to make everything. Oh, that's really cool. I'm really like intrigued by your background because it sounds like the more products you had experience with or the more that you looked at, that kind of prepped you to, to where you are now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, having that skill set 
being a designer, you just have that eye for knowing where there could be a problem and where there could be a solution, I guess. So. Yeah, it's quite rare because, I mean, I don't like to be a Debbie Downer. I like to look at the positive things. But in order to create a product that is safe and efficient and usable for the long term, you just have to, like, guess what the most obscure, weird thing that someone might do with it is. And this this is a pretty cool place to do it in the bike space because people, people do, do all sorts oh, of people things. People break stuff. People, people break, break bikes. You don't really want to be there when that happens. You're, yeah. You don't want it to be you. Yeah. So. So we ensure those things uh, happen up front and they don't happen with the customer. That's cool. Well, did you like ride bikes when you were a little kid or in college? Like, how did you get into mountain biking? You know, my first few recollections of bikes were, you know, a banana seat, you know, and like double riding <laughs> those with old friends. school bikes. Exactly. And, uh, you know, there was a, when I was in college, I actually lived like 15 miles away from school and I had to go through a tunnel, like an underwater tunnel to get to my college. And it was pretty horrible. Did you say underwater? So you were yeah, swimming? Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, the tunnel was underwater because I lived on a little island that was a man-made island. And it, you had to actually go underwater for, I don't know, a quarter of a mile. But I realized that people would honk at you and your, your my handlebars were barely the size of the width of the walkway and I was like trying my best to control the line and I think that's like the scariest I've ever experienced bicycle riding just to get to school that's that's (laughs) underneath a tunnel that's pretty crazy well we have that problem with those like crazy 800 millimeter wide bars now if some sections of trail yeah I knocked my hands pretty good this morning oh geez getting too close too close for comfort and how did Ibis come into the picture? Did you just really like the brand and approach them? So I had a couple of friends that worked at like in Santa Cruz and at Santa Cruz Bicycles. And I was kind of like enamored with the whole scene. Like it seemed like everyone rode all the time and had like a good life work balance. And it was actually quite an interesting story because I wasn't really working at the time. Uh, I was just doing small side gigs. And what happened was Santa Cruz had, I think, acquired a a clothing company called Swobo. And I just literally had no idea how to get into the bike industry. So I was actually like, well, if they need someone in apparel, maybe I can work my way into the bike industry if I go through apparel. Yeah. So um, never designed apparel before, but I was like, I think I have a sense of style, you know, (laughs) who knows? And so I just kind of like cut, like made these drawings and, and I sent my resume into Santa Cruz bikes and hadn't heard back from anyone in like weeks or months. And I was like, okay, well, cold calls, you never know. Like I understand, um, if no one gets back to me, but one of the owners, Hans Heim, he, uh, had a, he had gotten bought out by the other partners in the company and he saw my resume and he was like, huh, I wonder what she's all about. And cause he saw the rest of my work and he was like all over the map, right. With like all these different consulting gigs and bags and Pottery Barn and okay, well, he saw something that he thought could be creative and he tried me out as a graphic designer. He's like, do you want to, do you want to try making a business card for a local shop? And I was like, I've never designed one of those things. So I'll figure it out, made it happen, produced them. And then he was like, you know, we worked well together. Like, 
do you feel like designing a bike? <laughs> From business card to a bike? Yeah. And cool. I was like, no way. Like, you're, you're totally joking, right? Like, I didn't know what things were called on a bike. You know, I'm like... <laughs> Like, you know, there's wheels and all of that. That's stuff. all I knew, though. I was like, what is the center part you spin your feet around and <laughs> the top part oh of the gosh. frame? Like I had I had a cheat sheet. It was like a fake bike frame. And each one was like pointed to it and said top tube, down tube, head tube. Like it was just so, so funny how. Wow. Um, how much I've learned. Yeah. yeah. What was that learning curve like? Like how long did it take or like even compared to say designing clothing? Cause that's something you have probably experienced. At least you wear clothing and I like maybe that's a little bit easier jump, but designing a bike and to not be a regular rider, not eat, yeah. sleep and live yeah. mountain biking, like the rest of the industry. Like how was that jump, that learning curve? I think I actually looked at it more like it was a design challenge, like just a, just a drawing challenge. Like here's a sculpture and you have to make these lines connect and you make them connect in a way that looks good and maybe evokes a feeling of speed. And so sometimes people ask me like, what inspires you? Like, you know, is there some outside source that you look at and get inspired by? And I think it's more like the feeling um, and the balance of like proportions of lines there's something about like thicker lines on the bottom that make you feel sturdy, you know, or like smooth lines that make you feel like, oh, wow, this is like water or air moving through space. So I looked at it as a process problem and I was like, OK, I, ju I just have to get from here to there, avoid these spots and kind of make it look more like a bike than not. Because at the time I did a lot of research on bikes out there and so some of the carbon frames were just so beautiful and so organic looking. And Hans had told me, he's like, I really want something that's very iconic as a bicycle, but it has to be like really cool. And so it couldn't look too conceptual. And so like some of my early drawings were just so playful and so weird and <laughs> You know, like <laughs> they didn't look like bikes at all. They, you know, they could have looked like little weird lollipops and, you know, like <laughs> the candy. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it had to be tempered with something kind of down to earth. So the the archetype we have of a bike in our heads, we have this like triangle shape with like two wheels. I had to just basically try to stick around that. <laughs> but still, you know, you're able to pull off that iconic look, right? Like there's no other bikes that have the same kind of shape and curves that like an ibis does i think it definitely is still distinctive today people recognize them they're definitely beautiful your work is beautiful Thank um, you. and so i, I want to know like the feeling that i recognize that now that's actually what you were going for like I, it's hard to kind of put that in words or like a lot of people don't recognize that bike is saying that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but so there's also the functional part right like so when you're designing a bike you know now we want mountain bikers they want everything right like they want like the big wheels the longer travel they want their water bottle cage <laughs> and like all of that stuff they want it to be light but they also want the stiffness like how do you balance those real world constraints, those demands, right? Like everybody wants that. How do you balance that with making it 
still a piece of art. And yeah, I think it's lucky that we can almost all achieve that now. It's it's like we've gotten to a really level playing field where a lot of us have achieved, you know, all the goals that we want. And I think that the next step, you know, like for for Ibis, for example, I think we had produced our own rims because we felt like the wider rims could like lessen the amount of times our tires you know would burp or pop or like you yeah, know we would lose air for the bike for example some of the designs have a few points of interest so if there's something really technically new or interesting I like to draw attention to those parts and so I'll actually maybe simplify the design and like draw your eye to something interesting that's near like an eccentric or something that we've designed that's a little different than just the iconic, you know, mojo styling, for example. So it helps also that we work with carbon fiber because it's so thin. We can like determine exactly where we need to beef up the parts of carbon and the layers. And so lightweight isn't much of a problem anymore. And, you know, We've gotten really good at figuring out how to make it look great and not compromise like weight, you know, and and like what people want to run. There are some times that, you know, we want something and it's like we need to find the right partner to do it with because it's like, oh, well, or we need to change how we create our bike design in general. Like that's my that's my goal to make everything kind of efficient it look great. <laughs> awesome. So since we're here like at a women's mountain bike festival, like we've got all of these size small frames and people can't see because we're, we're talking, but you're obviously a smaller petite woman too. So what kind of considerations do you have to take into account for these smaller frames when you design bikes? Is it harder to design them for the smaller frames or is it about the same? Usually for the extreme sizes, I would think like for small and extra large are usually more challenging than medium and large. However, sometimes when things get lower and slacker, like everything gets harder because you're trying to fit geometry and dampers and water bottles and there's not much room because you need everything to be super slack and, you know, have tire clearance and dropper clearance and all that stuff. With the smalls, I have to be quite cognizant of like BB height, specking correct crank lengths and bar lengths. Standover height is huge. So the amount of space you have between like your crotch and you're like yeah. standing up, um, that is always top of mind. So we use a lot of our customer data to get us a lower standover. So even if we don't do a quote unquote extra small, we've captured more of that audience in our small size so we don't we don't make an extra small we just make a small and you know I think I had a rider today on an HD4 and she's probably like 410 411 and 26 inch inseam and she was really surprised that we had to bike her size because she was like well you don't make an extra small that small is not gonna fit and I was like you gotta try our small (laughs) (laughs) at least stand over it see if it works but you know I, I think that's the thing too like we need to demand that we're heard uh, the smaller people and also I think the larger people like that are extra large they need to demand that they get you know sized correctly yeah totally mm -hmm. so right and I feel like it's not just us women that are little people asking for bikes right there's a lot of shorter riders and even like with the advent of Nika and all these younger riders they're still like smaller and they need these size small frames yeah, once anyone once anyone gets to five feet, 
<laughs> their parents call us and they're oh. like, get me on that bike. And you know, like they're, it's the resale value is great. Cause then they can sell it to their friends, kids. And you know, like, <laughs> so there's a lot of younger people. Like I saw, I think two twins that were about five, two each, and they were both on like Mojo threes. Awesome. Yeah. And they were just teenagers. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about that just a little bit more because one of the bikes that you came out with this year recently, right, was the DV9 29er. And that was kind of inspired by, I forget who it was. Yeah. Um, so Hans is one of the partners and his daughter is Nika NorCal, like just kicks ass, you know, and she's, she was able to work with us during the summertime and she's been working for us. So like, you know, from cutting down boxes to wrenching on bikes, like, you know, she's gone through the gamut of the downstairs production and she earned her bike. Great. Awesome. And so just real quick, an overview, it's a 29er, it's carbon hard tail. This probably isn't just intended for like high school young people, right? Like who else can you see? Who else is this bike for? I mean, I use this bike for commuting to work through the mountains and road, you know, like I do a little bit of road or whatever, but I'm on the trails and it's a great climber. Like there's a local place called Big Basin and they had just this crazy race through there and everyone was on gravel bikes, but I'm like, I would take this hardtail because I could go for hours in this flat bars and like nice, fat, like, you know, bigger wheels than a little bit fatter wheels. But it's just, it's just a great climber. And you get, you can be on the same trails as your full suspension bike and take really playful lines, you know, and that's, that's something that I love about like Santa Cruz in general and, and, um, Ibis as a company, like we have the terrain to like play. And so sometimes if I'm stuck at work or something, I can use different bikes and have totally different experience on the same trails. That's awesome. On the topic of new bikes, like we saw a lot of long travel 29ers this year, like Ibis was one one of the first that came out with, with your Ripmo, right? It's the long travel 29er. How did you know this was like going to be the next big thing. I mean, I know this is probably, you got to rewind a couple of years because you've probably um, been working on it, but how'd you know long travel 29ers are what people were going to be riding now and yeah. what they wanted? You know, I think after we had the Ripley, the 29er Ripley and then the 29er Ripley LS, we, we got a lot of customer feedback saying we wanted longer travel, more travel, more travel. And um, we listened <laughs> wow, that, that was easy. <laughs> I thought there was like way more. I mean, that's a, a little bit. It's a little bit, you well, know, yeah, more than that. But once you do like kind of commit to a brand, Ibis, it's nice to know that like, yeah, your voice is going to be heard. Like you like your bike, but guess yeah. what? Next generation. Can you guys improve the ride quality? Can you make it yeah. a little bit better? And and we try to make sure, you know, like that, that lightweight 29er customer is heard as well as the more heavy duty customer. So we're not going to like, you know, change the Ripley to be something burlier. We're going to still make that bike and maybe improve upon it and like have different iterations, same as like any bike iteration we have. But we wanted to make something super special for the more enduro crowd, but they wanted longer, like, you know, just more, more wheelbase, bigger tires, 
just the ability to kind of rip through things. And I think we got a lot of feedback from both customers and our EWS team. And so what was that whole design process like? Did you just like take the Ripley and make some modifications and tweak it? Or wait, did you start would, from scratch or did you even take the Mojo? And no, it? well, it's funny because, <laughs> you know, the, the name isn't really like the name isn't like awesome, clever, but Rip <laughs> Mo, you kind of like match the two together. It's like they had like this cool kid, you know, like the, <laughs> the Ripley and the, the Mojo got together and they're just like, yeah, we're going to be like really progressive. And <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually um, purposefully a new looking platform. So those opportunities are kind of nestled in between huge revamps of, you know, our bike models. So those those models kind of excite me because I get to do a totally different design language. Cool. Well, so I guess in my experience, it's always like a designer's work is never done. Do you, do you think like, is there going to be soon a new iteration of the Ripmo or is, what are you working on next? Surely you're working on something. Something. There's, there's like at least three things Soon and more things later. <laughs> so nondescript. <laughs> I, I told Cerise actually yesterday, I said, yeah, you know, I don't even show my concept sketches because then I would be like giving up my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess I'm not going to get anything. No. <laughs> You're not going to lick anything. I can't. That's okay. I had to try. <laughs> You're in Santa Cruz. Which, what trails do you like to ride up there? I really like stuff in... Nicene Marks and SoCal Demo Forest. So there's like what, Braille Trails yeah. over there um, in Wilder. It's really funny because I started just taking a, a trails building course through MBOSC. And shout out to MBOSC. They're really great. It's like a 12 course thing where you learn about trails, like every aspect of designing and building. And since I'm a designer, I'm always like thinking about wow, things. Wow, this is like such a different, well, not that different, but very different world. Yeah. Where- and, you know, and like actually getting your shovel in and understanding like how hard it is to like dig out a path, you know, like even a foot of trail, you have this like huge appreciation for tricks and things like that. So um, I think there's a huge reroute planned for some of Wilder and I'm really excited about that. But I like, I like riding anything like just awesome. challenges and rock faces. And well, let's talk well, just a little bit more about like trail advocacy since we're on the topic, like are you getting some other folks from Ibis involved in this? Is this like, or your personal thing? Cause you're also, you're learning at, and at the same time you, you get to give back. Yeah. I think, um, a f- I think a few of us have already gone through the course and I know, I know one or two people that have, I think done it and a lot of our employees volunteer, but you know, we have a sort of a nice camaraderie with MBOSC and, you know, not only donating bikes for raffles and stuff, but getting out there and helping to build and understanding like what they need is really cool. So, um, since I'm a designer, like I get into like the observational research and this is my observational research mode. And then I'm getting into like what's actually happening. So seeing the amount of energy through volunteers is amazing because almost everyone that's working on the trails are volunteers. And so for, 
for the most part, it's like cyclists are making trails like for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really cool because, you know, like the Venn diagram of like, okay, who are hikers and who are mountain bikers? And when they overlap, it's like, oh my God, almost all mountain bikers are hikers. And so we are just like out there. And I think it's in our, like, we like dirt. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. If we're not riding it, we're shoveling it or we should be. (laughs) Yeah. We should be right. Like, I mean, even if you don't know how, right, like you don't have to know you, you just personally want to know the ins and outs of trail building, but like anybody can get out there and help maintain the trails and, and we should be right. We should be right. The stuff met the magic trail fairies don't just clean the stuff up overnight and make new trails appear and everyone else gets to ride them. And there's also something to be said, right, of like earning that ride, right? You're going to enjoy it way more if you like put some of your own blood, sweat and tears. Maybe not that much blood, sweat. I mean, yeah, I I give I give probably sweat, blood and probably like poison oak and my my skin and I got and it gave you poison oak. It's okay. That happens. (laughs) Oh, so well, which bike? Do you ride primarily? What's your favorite child? Your favorite bike? Oh, gosh. I know it must be so hard. It's like picking a favorite child, but you can't. Probably um, right now the Ritmo is my favorite bike. Um, my second favorite is probably the Hakka MX, but that one oh, is the yeah. gravel bike. Yeah, Ooh. and I run it. I run it twenty seven five, so it's like a little kind of traily bike. Yeah. yeah, and I just like climbing on it. Just so the difference between the Ritmo and the Hakka MX are so extreme yes. that it just like just blows my mind the times I ride because I'm like, it's so different. And I just get this experience and then this experience, like I could ride the same trail and it's so much more faster or different or I, I can take things differently. It's just it's just fun no matter what. Awesome. And so your Ritmo, is it? Is it customized at all or is it like one of the same builds? Anyone? Yeah, it's um, I probably run not like the double barrel damper on it. So it's a little bit lighter weight and I do run like 165 cranks. So, ah, yeah, a I little bit smaller. Those. I may have to try that on. Yeah, yeah. Those are nice and nothing really different. I try to have the same setup like with my geometry, like mm-hmm. when you get fitted and you don't fit a bike then you hurt yourself like, yes. you know you get injuries right so i i don't deviate too much from actually the okay and the roxy tune is that like do you actually have the roxy tune well that's only on the <laughs> i only had that on the mojo because oh, okay that was the the um i didn't take things so hard on that bike it was like an all trail bike so the roxy tune was specifically because that damper came with like a m- minimum weight of like 140 oh yeah so no one can ride that yeah. <laughs> under 140. <laughs> and that was men and women. I would go through our list of data and even on medium frames or small frames, sometimes people were, you know, 135 men and women so uh, or less. So I was like, there's no reason why we can't just have this as a pre-tuned you know, damper as an option because you have the option, of course, to send it into Fox. But right. when you get something out of the box, you kind of yeah, want to ride it. Want it. You don't want to take it apart. It. And it makes a big difference because I remember back in the day, you know, just buying it off the shelf fork and it's tuned for that 150 pound dude. Mm-hmm. And I'm a hundred 
pounds some change and <laughs> and I can just get a little bit out of that shock. You want that whole thing to work. Yeah. So and you, I'm glad that you offer that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. You, you feel like you didn't, you know, you, you didn't get your money's worth somehow. Oh, <laughs> yes. And that would be a shame because we all know bikes cost a lot of money these days. And I know you certainly get what you pay for when you get an IBIS. They're all nice machines, very well designed. Thank so you. Thanks for your time, Roxy. It's Thank good you. having you. Thank you so much. If you want to keep up with Roxy and IBIS and their newest bikes, head over to IBISCycles.com or follow them on Instagram at IBISCycles. We hope you've been enjoying the podcast. We have tons of great content for you. If you head over to singletracks.com and sign up for the email newsletter, that's the best way to keep up with the newest mountain bike news. That's all we have for today. We'll catch you again next week with another new episode. Peace. Thank you.